Hey friends, welcome to another special episode of the Into the Impossible podcast featuring my friend Shep Dolman, the founding director of the Event Horizon Telescope. And I'm sure you have heard the exciting news that this phenomenal collaboration has detected and imaged the event horizon around the black hole known as Sagittarius A star or Sag A star for the cognoscenti that dwells the behemoth that lurks at the heart of darkness inside of our own Milky Way galaxy. This has been sort of a holy grail for Shep for 25 years and in addition to some technical nerding out that you'll hear about I cannot resist as an experimental astrophysicist from delving deep into some of the things that get me all revved up. But we also talked about the emotional side of doing science at the highest level. And some are whispering that Shep may someday win that coveted, gilded, graven image of Alfred Nobel. We'll see about that. He's a great guy. Have a great conversation. And he's really just a delightful person to talk to, uh, full of humility and good cheer and love having him on. So I hope you'll take away from this episode the challenges, but also the rewards of being an experimental astrophysicist and studying the most enigmatic, mysterious behemoths that cause our universe to be so delightfully arranged. So for now, sit back and relax and enjoy this ride deep across the galaxy, 33,000 parsecs away. We go into the impossible inside the event horizon of Sag A star. Come along, let's go. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. I'm here live with Dr. Shep Dolman, who is a friend of the show, past guest uh, on the show. And talking about the previous phenomenal discovery by the Event Horizon Telescope. Today's announcement uh, really shook up my universe, the uh, universe of those who care about monsters and incredible gravitational discoveries. But Shep, take it away. What did you, uh, your team announce today? This is so phenomenal. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty incredible day, Brian. But today we announced the first image of the supermassive black hole in the center of our galaxy, Sagittarius A star. It's, it's at the same time very similar, but also quite different from the black hole we imaged in 2019. That was M87, which weighs six and a half billion solar masses. So let's first talk about why they're the same. Uh, no matter how you light up the space-time around a black hole, the intense gravity dictates what the image is going to look like. So these black holes are surrounded by an ultra-hot plasma radiating light across the electromagnetic spectrum, and it's bent by Einstein's gravity into this ring shape. So the fact that we saw a ring in M87 and we saw one in Sagittarius A star, which are different in mass by about a factor of a thousand, is another confirmation of Einstein's theory of gravity, that these black holes all bend light in exactly the same way and appear the same. Now, they're different because M87 is a monster. M87 is one of the biggest black holes we know of in the universe. And it has a jet that is powered by the black hole, piercing the entire galaxy. Whereas Sag A star is the timidest of eaters. It is just eating a tiny, tiny amount. Uh, at the press conference today, Michael Johnson said that if Sag A star were a human, it would be eating one grain of rice every million years or so. I mean, that's the, that's the rate at which 
Sagittarius A star is delicately consuming the gas around it. So it's not a monster. What makes it so special is it's our monster. And we can use its proximity to study it in a way that we can't necessarily study M87. So it's a great day for black holes that they're the same, but also that we have a completely different black hole to study. And the shape of the black hole, it looks, you know, I was kind of anticipating this would be about the um, the black hole, the Milky Way galaxy, but the shape and the morphology looks so radically different from the M87 black hole. Is that purely attributable to its mass? Well, it's partially the mass, but also mostly at this point, it's due to the fact that Sagittarius A star weighs a thousand times less. So that means that the dynamical time scale, the, uh, the rate at which it changes, is a thousand times faster. So while we're observing Sagittarius A star, it's changing while we're trying to capture its image. That means that the, the quality of the image is poor. It's like trying to capture a running person with in a time exposure, a long time exposure. It gets very blurry. Mm. So the fact that it looks a little different, that there are blobs around the ring, is mostly a consequence of the fact that it's changing while we're looking at it. Um, and not so much that it's intrinsically much, much different. Mm. Uh, now, now, this is a good thing, right? Because this tells us that when we want to, you know, when we talk about making movies of black holes, we now have our leading actor, right? Sagittarius A star is the one that we want to make a movie of because it changes on these very, very short timescales. Uh, for M87, we would take snapshots every few weeks and tie years of observation into a time-lapse movie but Sag star we can see evolve you know, in real time mm. so it so the, again the images are a little bit different a little bit the same and it all speaks to the fundamental physics around black holes will we also expect to get more information in the coming years from this black hole or are we still taking are you still taking data with the uh, eht currently on this uh, object yeah absolutely so so for example we've learned some things right away from this treasure trove of data. Uh, you know, first, four and a half million solar masses are within the photon orbit, right? This is the strongest evidence for the existence of the supermassive black hole in the center of our galaxy, full stop. Mm -hmm. In 2020, Reinhard Gensel and Andrea Ghez won the Nobel Prize for determining that there was a compact object at the galactic center. But the Nobel Prize Committee stopped short of saying it was a black hole. Now we have the proof, the long-sought proof, that the object at the center of our galaxy is indeed a black hole. There's, there's no other way for us to get that particular ring uh, that matches the mass derived by Genzel and, and Gez at the 4 million solar masses. Everything fits together now. It paints a wonderful picture. But you asked about what, what, what comes next and what we're learning. So, for example, looking at the simulations of black holes, we can now say that there are uh, likely strong magnetic fields operating close to Sagittarius A star. We can say that uh, the temperature of the electrons is probably pretty high compared to the temperature of the ions. It's something that people who study accretion are very interested in. And, and, and we can also say that the time variability seems to match generally what we might expect. It's actually... Sagittarius A star seems to be a little quieter mm. than all of our computer models might suggest. So when you run these computer models on banks of CPUs, uh, they predict that Sagittarius A star would be a little more jumpy. 
a little more frantic, a little more puppyish. And the Sagittarius, the Sagittarius star object that we actually observe seems to be a little calmer. So that's something for us to really dig into over the coming years. And we have data in the can from a couple of other epochs, and we're building the instrument out all the time. And the next generation EHT will make true movies of Sagittarius star. Yeah, I want to get to that in in a bit. Uh, I noticed you have a new button uh, on your lapel. You had uh, you had a previous one last time. So if people can find your lapel manufacturer, then they'll be able to get data, you know, uh, in in real time. Uh, just kidding. Um, but um, yeah. but in seriousness, when we look at the when we look at the um, the black hole image from M87, and we look at the black hole now image that you produced with your team for a uh, from the Sag A star, we see you know there's no scale, there's no way to tell just from the lapel pin. You know, are they the same size? Of course they're not. Uh, this one is a you know maybe 500 times less massive. Um, but what what do we learn about the sense of scale and perhaps? Uh, the orientation, uh, because the black hole, you know, could be in any orientation. And was it just fortuitous that they seem to present the same general morphology and they're circular? Obviously, there's a shadow, there's a there's a dark spot. Um, was that fortuitous or, or or is that something else? Yeah, so, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there, Brian. So it turns out that because the ring seems to be roughly uniform or the all, like the north of the of the ring is as bright as the south part of the ring. There are lumps, but there's no clear asymmetry from one side to another of the Sag A star result. That tells us that we're probably looking at it face on. Mm. It, and and that's that is very interesting because consider for a moment that we live in an outer arm of the Milky Way galaxy. So if the spin of the black hole was aligned with the rotation of the Milky Way, we would be looking at Sagittarius A star edge on. It does not look like we are seeing an edge on black hole. That means that the black hole, for some reason, seems to be pointed not far from our line of sight. Now, that's a mystery. And that's what we're going to have to resolve over the coming years. Like, why is that? There's a little bit of evidence from uh, the optical and infrared groups that suggest also that we should be seeing it face on. So this is consistent with that. But another mystery, like why are we in this preferred direction yeah. from the galactic center? Uh, so the, it, 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 that just speaks to your question about why it you know, kind of looks the way it does. But in terms of scale, now let's talk monsters, Brian. Mm. The, the M87 black hole is six and a half billion solar masses. It's the size of the entire solar system. Our entire solar system could fit many times over in the shadow of that black hole. So to keep that in your mind for a moment, Sagittarius A star, though it appears the same size on the sky, because it's closer, is actually about 1,500 times less massive, the event horizon and shadow of Sag A star would fit well within the orbit of Mercury in our own solar system, hmm. right? So you're looking at something that snugly fits close to the sun versus mm -hmm. something that could swallow the solar system many times over. <laughs> and the fact that we're seeing these black holes that appear the same size reinforces the idea that black holes are the same no matter what size they are, no matter what mass they are. The ones that are discovered by LIGO that are at 10 solar masses mm -hmm. seem to be the same as the ones, the Sag A star, which is a 4 million solar masses, and one that's 6.5 billion. Mm -hmm. There's no other object in the universe that, that exists in, its, in a single form 
at all those different scales. So if you took a mouse mm. and you tried to scale a mouse up a billion times, it would collapse under its own weight, right? I mean, a mouse can't be a billion times the size of a mouse. Its skeleton doesn't scale properly, right? That's but right. a black hole is perfectly at home no matter what mass it is. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, they are the biggest objects, single objects in the uh, in the universe. They've been around for a long time. I made a video on my channel today where I talked about, you know, could they make up for the dark matter in the universe? And, and before we get mm -hmm. to that, uh, well, I want to ask, uh, behind me is a picture, I'll put it on that side, uh, of M51, which is the Whirlpool galaxy. It's a galaxy not unlike uh, the Milky Way. But M87 is, is an irregular or elliptical galaxy. It's very different. Uh, could that be in part why we see these blobs? Are these the, you know, the the blobs that uh, Andrea and Reinhardt call, you know, these uh, A2? And are, are those blobs that we're seeing in the image, are they in any way related to the clumps of gas and dust and star forming and star dying regions in our galaxy? Or are they completely different? Yeah, they, they are very different. It, it also helps to make a jump to the scale here. So the, the, the tremendous... You know, pioneering work by, by Andrea Ghez and Reinhard Genzel showed the orbits of stars around an unseen mass, that compact object that we talked about earlier. And the, the closest point of approach of those stars is still about a thousand times bigger than the shadow we observe today. In other words, if Newton saw the motion of these stars around the black hole, right. he would not be surprised. You have to look very, very carefully at the motions of those stars to discern any hint of Einstein and general relativity. Whereas we're so close that everything is governed by tens of billions of degree gases emitting light that's bent like taffy in the gravity of the black hole. So totally different uh, origin of those blobs. Mm. Much, much closer by a factor of about a thousand. Amazing. Um, I want to ask a question that, you know, lay people want to know. Oftentimes they, people ask me, what do you, you know, hope to see with, with the Simons Observatory or, or uh, any other project? And I always say, I don't like to think about what I hope to see, what I, you know, what I want to see, because that can lead to confirmation bias, et cetera. In this case, you must have known for a long time that this was going to happen, and you must have been excited to see it uh, in some sense. Talk about how did this emotionally resonate with you, um, if at all. Uh, you know, we scientists are, are, are human beings, despite the stereotypes to the contrary. How did this culmination of your planning with your colleagues for decades um, and fighting for funding and fighting for scarce resources, how does it feel? to make this image of something that would blow the minds of someone uh, as great as Einstein or Newton or anybody? How does it feel just on a personal level? I'm curious. You know, a lot of different emotions are running through us, like awe, you know, humility, relief, um, and, and inspiration. You said something very interesting about uh, Einstein and how his mind would be blown. The more I've been in this game and I've been chasing Sad J Star for over 25 years now. The more I think about it, the more it's about connections. We have a connection historically. I call it the 100 year handshake with Einstein and Schwarzschild. <laughs> you know, we, we're continuing their tradition. And every day we talk about the Einstein equations, every day we talk about the Schwarzschild radius. It's not, it's not a fabrication, right? It's not posturing. Like, we, we dip into those deep traditional scientific wells every single day. And to be able to take the next step like this with this amazing team 
is a fulfillment not just of, of, of my personal dream, but also of the dream of all scientists, that we will all build on the work of each other mm. to address these big questions. So it's, it's being part of, of a hundred-year process that gives the depth of it, the richness of it, the texture of it. Mm. That's what I find most comforting and, and, and most incredible about this whole journey. That and being able to work with this team. I mean, this, the, the people involved in this project are just incredible. And you talked about uh, the future. Let's go, uh, before we get to the, the future for the next generation, which I'm uh, thrilled to, to hear about. Um, when we spoke uh, last time, it was it was in between. I spoke to Heino Falca and others about the polarization results. Do we Can we expect polarization results from the Milky Way galaxies, black hole, Sag A star? And if so, what will that tell us? Yeah, absolutely. We already know just from some of the brightness, not, not the polarization, but the brightness, that there are likely strong and ordered magnetic fields uh, around Sagittarius A star, but we haven't mapped them yet. That will be the next uh, project for the EHT. That and then looking at even more data with better array. So right now we have a hint that things are changing. In fact, we know they're changing. We can see from the raw data Hmm. that things are jumping around. But we can't form a movie yet. We Hmm. cannot make a movie of Sagittarius A star so it's like we know something is moving, can't make it out. But in the future, we'll be able to advance our algorithms and build out the array to capture that motion. So uh, over the coming years, we'll look at new data sets, look for polarization, but also look for this motion. Mm. And, 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 that's that, and that's what differentiates M87 from SAG-A star. Um, we'll be able to catch the black hole in motion. With Sagittarius A stars, so that's really what motivates us to build the next generation EHT. Will that have more to teach us about astrophysics when we, these movies are made, or will it teach us more about gravity or all of the above? So, so it turns out both. Uh, what we're really after is is kind of twofold. One is how do these black holes launch jets, and how do they interact with the matter that's circling them, and Understanding that will tell us how black holes feed, how they're in symbiosis with the galaxies that host them, and how they can disrupt potentially star formation in those galaxies. In other words, how the large-scale structure that we see in the night sky evolves. Mm. At the same time, we know that these rings that we see have substructure. Mm. Some of the light is gently bent to us, but some does a U-turn. Some does a full orbit around it. With the next generation, instruments we hope to be able to tease out that first ring and that will be a much stronger test of gravity because the light that does a u-turn around the black hole spends more time in that highly curved space time so the stuff the the photons that make it to us have a lot more information Mm. about whether that space time conforms to einstein's theory or whether we have to find a new theory Um, can we uh, go back to what we talked about uh, on your first visit on the Into the Impossible podcast? I'll put a link uh, to that conversation up here, over here somewhere. Uh, and that was uh, about the next generation. Um, surely, you know, any reasonable funding agency uh, would see these results, including the M87 results uh, from three years ago. And now these as harbingers of incredible new science that's uh, uniquely capable by this instrument and this instrument alone. First of all, 
you know, I've been told the best thing in business is to have a monopoly. Do you guys have a monopoly? Is there any other team that can do what you guys do? Um, and so is there, or is there not an alternative for the NSF and the ESO and, and so forth to upgrade and build a bigger, better version of NG uh, EHT? Well, so what, what I would say is that there are a lot of, there are some different views on how to proceed uh, to enhance the EHT. But the one that has been, you know, endorsed by the National Science Foundation and the one that was written up in the uh, Decadal Review that just came out, this is this navel-gazing exercise that all of U.S. astronomy engages in every 10 years. And, and they wrote that the next generation EHT concept that we put forward is, is viable and should proceed. Mm -hmm. So we're damning the torpedoes. Like, we're just full steam ahead to do this. And, uh, you know, observing at multiple frequencies adding different colors to our palette when we image these black holes, winding the bandwidth with bigger sensitivity, uh, you're doing all these things and building out new telescopes, uh, that's gonna, that's a very robust path ahead. And we already are, are working with private foundations and the NSF to do that. Um, I really just see no showstopper here. Mm. I, I think that we should set our sights on 2030 make high dynamic range images of M87 to show the energy extraction from the black hole through the jet. And on Sagittarius A-star to capture the dynamics during a single night and test Einstein's theory by looking at orbits of matter. These are the questions that will motivate us, physics, astronomy, even history, philosophy, and mathematics for the coming decade. Oh, for certain. What about adding new baselines? I mean, if you put one at the North Pole, if you put one in space, what are the limits to uh, the resolution, both in space and time and frequency, of uh, the current uh, suite of instruments? And then think big 100 years from now. What could you imagine we could do uh, with a next, next generation EHT? Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to go after this just because yeah. I'm being, being raptured. I'm sure, you had a busy day. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the magic of interferometry is that the number of baselines you can use, the number of connections between antennas, uh, each, and each, each single pair gives you one data point, that that number of pairs goes as n squared. So it's quadratic. So every time you add a new dish, you get many more baselines. It grows very, very fast. So even by adding six new dishes, for example, we would triple the amount of data that we're going to get. And if we were to add, you know, many more sites than that, we would again go up by a factor of three so that by 2030, we should be 10 times more capable than we are now. Now that's a new telescope. Anytime you have an order of magnitude, you've broken through a certain barrier. So, so when you ask about new baselines, that really is the trick. You know, filling in the Earth-sized virtual lens, that'll take us to the next step. That's unbelievable. Shep, I want to thank you and give you congratulations, a hearty congratulations to you, your team, your friends in Europe uh, and Asia, all around the world. This is a worldwide effort and we need it more than ever. I mean, you think about what unites people and what divides people. Who cannot fail to be just moved, blown away and excited about the future, the future of technology, human capital mm -hmm. and these resources that you and your team have spectacularly unlocked. Thank you so much, Shep, for sharing your time. I know you've got a huge day ahead of you. Congratulations, my friend. We'll talk again soon. OK, bye, Brian. Take bye, care, my friend. Bye bye.
Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shep Dolman, the founding director of the Event Horizon Telescope Project. Shep's turning the new powerful eye of the Event Horizon Telescope to new targets, and I'm sure he'll be back many times on the podcast to come. And I hope you will come back as well. And if you enjoy the podcast, please, please do me a huge favor. Give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave a review. I just got an incredibly touching review from a listener, Beckins B., who said, never disappoints, adding, I appreciate very much the fact that you have many females and people of color and LGBTQ and other science podcasts, many more than other podcasts have, according to Beckinsby. Just wanted to say that after listening to the one about Webb, she must be, or he must be, referring to the podcast that I did with Hakeem Olashei to redeem the name of the namesake of the James Webb Space Telescope, where James Webb's name has been really dragged uh, through some murky waters, uh, as as Hakeem explained. I was gratified on my YouTube channel, which you should all subscribe to, Dr. Brian Keating, that Barbara Webb, one of uh, James Webb's uh, children, I believe, she left a comment about uh, how much the video meant to her on that uh, uh, after this conversation that I had with Hakeem, who is African-American, but that's the least of his most interesting qualities, as are all my guests. I don't have people on because of their pronouns or not lack of pronouns. I just enjoy having conversations with deep minds. It really gets me through tough times and gives me inspiration to do big things and up my game, and I want to do better. So send me your suggestions. You can leave a review and put in there who you'd like me to see in the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, or you can go to uh, speakpipe.com slash impossible and leave me a voicemail what you think about the podcast, what questions you have. And I'm thinking about doing an AMA and ask me anything once I hit about 60,000 subscribers on YouTube. So let's make it happen, everybody. Thanks so much for going into the impossible. Until next week, enjoy your universe. <laughs>